Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 126. We're proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always from her home in Kansas, Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? And and his home in Philadelphia, Michael McLeod. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, you guys. I just was thinking about this. Michelle, I could mention the city where you are in Kansas, but one, I don't know. And two, even if you told me, I'm not sure I could find it on a map. But it was weird because I didn't have to mention the state that Michael's in because everyone kind of knows where Philly is. It's weird. I'm right outside Kansas City. Barbecue? Sure, yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm in the sunflower t- state. There's a lot of sunflowers right now. So that's I cool. I am excited. We planted a sunflower in our garden, and then it like disappeared. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me it grew to be 10 feet tall. That no, no, no. It disappeared. Story. I have no idea where it went. <laughs> I am excited for today's show because we've got our shout outs. we got our due processes. We're looking at a new breakthrough in uh, about the discovering of what might cause stuttering. We're talking poetry, and we're talking social thinking or non-ableist uh, pragmatic language theory. Uh, those are not the same, but we will be talking about both of those. But before we get to any of that, we want to hear from you. Make sure you check out our Discord. Uh, off and on, we've been having some interesting conversations about speech therapy in the Down Under area on the Australian continent. We also want you to email us in speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Hashtag it up, hashtag SSPod, and phone call or text message 614-681-1798. Did I cover everything? I think so. I'd say so. So let's start it off like we always do. And Mike, how has your week been this week? 
Uh, I would say it's actually been... these last two weeks. We last weren't on air weeks, last yeah. week because it was true. Labor Day. How was your last two weeks? Uh, I would say it's been a very successful two weeks. Um, I've started to trickle back more and more into my clinic uh, and returning back to uh, some face-to-face -face services, which is great. Uh, at first, uh, after such a long time away, you certainly have a little bit of that nervousness and you know the transition back from you know the, the little bit of comfort that you gain from the teletherapy, but Really, once you're back to doing it, once you're back with your students face to face, and you're back in that environment that you're aware of, it's a it's a great feeling. So, so being back in the clinic and being back with some students I hadn't seen in a long time, uh, it, it was funny. I saw one of my my younger uh, male clients that I hadn't seen in months since the pandemic began, and he was taller, his voice was deeper, Aww. and it was it was just so it was so funny just to to see him and uh, just to see the changes. It's uh. It's really fascinating, but but to be back and hopefully everything is just going well so far and hopefully we all stay healthy and we can just push through this. You've seen, you, you've taken child development, right, Mike? You know that children do get bigger and get older. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all forget that though. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a while, man. It's been a while. Oh man, I feel that. It's like when kids come back from summer break and I'm like, who are you? Yep. You were like barely above the desk last time I saw you. Michelle, you've had a completely uneventful past week, right? Uh, well, <laughs> you um you got to hear about it briefly, but the the quick summary is we're moving again. Isn't that exciting? Yay! Which state are we going to? Oh, I'm not moving states. I'm moving less than a mile away. Uh, that sounds terrible. I do not want that. Do not agree. Yeah, so um, our house that we're living in, unfortunately, has had some major issues pop up in the last two weeks that started with flooding and then in the basement and then flooding revealed um, severe mold behind what was like faux wood paneling from like the 70s and 80s um, and also termites and a floor to ceiling crack in the foundation. So. Ooh. We are moving less than a mile away into a different house. So that is what I'm doing this week and what I've been dealing with last week. Yay, that sounds... I guess in some ways we're good. not totally unpacked yet, so we'll just box well, it back up and take it down the street. Just put it back on the truck, guys. We're, we're going somewhere else. Yeah. I yep. am so sorry, Michelle, that that is... That, it's the trip that just keeps getting worse. this is the the move that just keeps lingering <laughs> so well, what did you learn from this uh don't get sick and oh <laughs> um, i'm don't sorry move into a house that has these issues not that we knew obviously uh my week has been a lot better than that what have um, I learned? There's yeah, not what have you a learned lot I can week? control. How about that? <laughs> Isn't that a, the serenity prayer? <laughs> like, right. grant me the yeah, knowledge to, to know the, the difference. the things I cannot change to change yeah. what I can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For the well, betterment of mankind, if I remember. Ugh, good luck with that, Michelle. <laughs> On a positive, uh, for me, I got to see... Uh, my parents today, because it was Grandparents' Day, so we celebrated that and with homemade cards. Uh, my wife gave me a COVID-style haircut, and uh, I got my last credit hour I need for my ACE award. So Hey, you finally did it. I did. I took a class on it. Oh, it was about audiology, what, uh, what an SLP needs to know about um, hearing aids. 
I took it over at speechpathology.com. Nice. So, so I've got a movie for everybody to watch. And it is called Class Action Park. Okay. Mike, where are you from originally? New York. Did you ever go to Action Park? I did not, but I know what you're talking about. I know exactly <laughs> what you're I've never been there, but I know what you're talking about. So, Michelle, Action Park is probably the most dangerous water park, amusement park in America. Okay. Where is um, it located? New York. Nice. <laughs> Vernon Valley, right, Mike? Yep. I mean, yeah. I know you said New York. I was just wondering if there was more specifics than it that. It was like, what, 45 minutes outside of New York City? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're known for the only water slide with a 360-degree loop. Yep. Right, Michelle, that look was it. Um, also, uh, I learned in the documentary that Donald Trump was given an opportunity to invest in it, and he said it seemed too shady to invest in. Oh. Yeah, that's how, you know, that's how you know it's bad. <laughs> when that guy won't do it. Right, but Chris Christie said the owner of the, of the park was a really good man. So. Oh, there you go. Good for him. There you go. There you have it. <laughs> There's an endorsement. But it talks about the, the six people who died at the park within this 12-year span. They show the MTV clips of them being there. Dude, class action park. Action park. I, I really wish I could sit here as an adult and say, oh, no, the teenage version of me never would have went to this park. But I think I would have. I, I think know, you man. might still go, Matt. I, well, I mean, as an adult <laughs> and I get injured waking up on the wrong side of the bed or because my bed is too soft, I don't think I could do this. They're talking about this one ride where it was basically like a giant slip and slide and they just kept making the ramp bigger until one of the employees broke their back. So then they said they then they just closed it. That's insane. <laughs> Completely insane. Michelle, your look. Uh, it's the what they made the movie um, Action Park. It was based loosely off of that movie or off of that park with Johnny Knoxville. But my only reaction is, is if a Johnny Knoxville movie made the park seem tamer than it was in reality. I have nothing for that. That's saying something. Yeah, that is saying something. That has been my week. Oh, also, uh, when this airs, I'll be having my third child. So, you know, Yay. there's that. Pretty sweet. I Baby was burying girl's going to be here soon. Evelyn Rose, she's dropping on the 16th. So if she's this episode... dropping on the Dropping. I like that. So if this episode it's hits like your... your... It's like your next album. Right? <laughs> dropping your third album. Third we're child. Dropping the... We're dropping the EP on the 16th. The EP? The extended PR? play. Oh, Extended I was going to say Evelyn Rose. I'm thinking her initials. <laughs> I missed that joke. I totally didn't. Do that. <laughs> but yeah, I guess if you're listening to this, the 15th, I am a father of two. If you're listening to this anytime after the 16th, uh, I'm a father of three. Please, please send you're help. You're a father of three. She's just hanging out a little right, longer. That's true. She's just baking. <laughs> yes. Oh. Let's get into a little less stressful news and <laughs> let's see what's happening in the world of speech and language therapy. We want to hear from you as always. Hashtag it up. Hashtag SS pod. Let's start off with our SS pod shout outs. Uh, this is our opportunity or I'm sorry, your opportunity to kind of give a digital fist bump, a what's up or something like that to somebody doing something awesome in our field and our SS pod shout out goes to Sandy Bennett. 
Uh, let's see, Sandy. I is, love this one. <laughs> Sandy is retiring from Unity Point uh, Select Medical Physical Therapy Group after having worked in the field for 50 years. Wow. Right? Impressive. Go Sandy. Can she we interview she, her? I know, I want to. She says she attended speech therapy in first grade to correct her, quote, Dutch speech. But then she graduated from Wichita State in 1969 and 1970 with her master's degree. Uh, and then she started in Fort Dodge School back in August 1970. I'd love to nice. talk to her about how the field has changed in the right. settings she's been in. Well, and when she graduated, she got the master's when, when we really didn't need a master's. When was it required? I don't remember oh, what year man. that changed. Why? I don't know. 90s? 80s? It's been yeah, more recent. It's been since I was born. <laughs> That's not saying a lot, no. I'm just no. But awesome I'm shout the same out to Sandy. Same age as you, so I can't say much. SS Pod shout out to Sandy Bennett, retiring after 50 years. Just think about that. If you enter the field when you're 24, that means you're leaving the field when you're 74. <laughs> God. Oh That's God. a scary thought, man. I am planning my retirement when I hit 59 and a half or 60. I've already got my gray hair. I'm ready to go. <laughs> but if you've got a SS pod shout out, hashtag it up or email it to us. It is for somebody doing something awesome or that needs the recognition in our field. On the flip side, we have the SS pod due process. That is your opportunity to send in an anonymous or non-anonymous situation. And we get to discuss it and decide, are you right? Are you wrong? Should you be upset? Do you need union representation? Should you get a lawyer or turn in your resume? Tonight's SS pod due process comes to us anonymously. Uh, it's a little scenario. Uh, the SLP in question says that they want to dismiss the student, but they have a couple red flags and the teachers are pushing back. Background is the high school student uh, is working on R and L. Uh, the student says that does not bother them. But teachers have reported that the student does not volunteer information during class and last March cried during her presentation because someone asked her to repeat what she said. The SLP states that the student is unmotivated in therapy should they continue to dismiss them. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Interesting. I would think I would want to talk to the student. Is how old again? Uh, didn't say just high school, high school, so, 14 to 18 and just completely unmotivated in therapy. She just said she is unmotivated and does not practice, but the teachers AKA are welcome to every high school student I've ever. True. Worked. True. But the teachers did you do your therapy saying... this week? Nope. But the uh, teachers, teachers are saying that she is in need of therapy. Yeah. She does not volunteer information and cried during her presentation back in March. So it's clearly impacting the educational setting, number one. So mm -hmm. in that case, then they she has multiple sounds she's working on, which some, depending on what school district you're in and everything else, sometimes that's a requirement. Um, Is it really? I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that before. That especially as you get older, when uh, um, they want it to be more than just one sound. I, I don't know. Oh. There's. I'd love to hear from some school-based SLPs who work. What? That's interesting because, kids. like, what if you're saying, oh, I'm working on R, but then, like, R, according to the world of R, has, like, 26 exactly. different and versions I, of it. I've argued that before, yeah, that you can't just, just say R is R. one sound. Yeah. R is more so, than one sound. 
So are you saying they should stay in therapy or discontinue? Um, I have more questions and I think that it would be worth talking to that student further because I'd also be curious if, if this is really impacting the student in public speaking or speaking in front of the class, then um, yes, I think speech therapy, but they may need some, you know, the social Mental worker, health. the school counselor, mm-hmm. uh, the school psychologist or somebody else to touch base and see how this kid is doing. Mike, where do you fall on this one? Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I would say you have to basically just call a meeting. You know, call a meeting, mm-hmm. call the call the IEP meeting, and get everyone together. Even get the student in the room. Um, the student's and, a high schooler, so they're part of that yeah, meeting. Yeah, so they got to mm-hmm. be in the meeting exactly. So call a meeting, get everyone together, and 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 discuss and come up with a plan. Uh, you can't just keep dismissing when it's impacting the educational setting. You know, you never know what could what could happen. Down, what happens if this if this goes to due process? You can't just say, "Oh, they didn't care. They didn't do homework." Uh, you know, you're something has to be done. You need to follow through, use the IEP guidelines, follow the follow the protocol, and call a meeting and get everyone on the same page and get it get it in writing. Get it, you know, get that meeting as part of the IEP. That's interesting you mentioned the due process because I don't have an answer to that of what I would do if I have to defend my students not practicing or not trying. I don't know what I would do with that. I had a, uh, I went to a live session back at OSLA a few months or a few years ago and the presenter basically said that if the student refuses to work or the refuses to come to school or to your session, ask the parent to bring them or make them work. And it was kind of the, uh, this is how I'm going to dismiss the kiddo. But it feels kind of weird in a situation where the student's crying. I agree with you, Michelle. There may be something more underlying on this one. Mm-hmm. I think I think this kid needs supports, and you just have to figure out as a team what those are. Maybe even 504. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking on this due process? Do they dismiss? Do they continue in therapy? Or do you have your own due process that you would like us to attach to and uh, debate or give you zero answers, kind of like we did here, uh, <laughs> instead of a hashtag SSPod. No, we gave answers, and our answers were basically maybe. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> hashtag it up, hashtag SSPod do process. All right, let's jump right into a fun article out of the Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, neuroscientists are discovering about stuttering. Uh, do you all remember a few years ago where they thought it might have something to do with vascular flow in the brain? I think we talked about that, didn't mm-hmm. we? Well, we've been on air for like 130 episodes. So like things blend together after a while. I didn't know if you all remembered it. Well, no, I just, I'm, it's <laughs> jogging memories. So I'm wondering if we did discuss it. We did. We did. I think we did. I know I did. I don't know who was on the show, but they're now <laughs> they're now looking to see uh, due to a small pilot study back in 2019. They think that there is a gene related or connected with disfluency and that it may be hereditary. Is is that new, though? Am I like, taking off? I thought there's always been uh, at least the theory that there's a genetic tie because we see multiple generations of people who sometimes have stuttering or disfluency. I, this is when I read this, this was new to me. I knew about some of the vascular stuff. They talk about how 
Uh, I love in the uh, Smithsonian Magazine, they talk about the circuitry and they talk about it as slow circuitry uh, in the left hemisphere of the language centers of the brain. But hmm. this was new to me about the genetic link. I mean, I, I've always heard that we've we've seen it, but I've never seen research like looking at it. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I do remember, I don't know if you guys felt this way, um, the fluency class in grad school, leaving it and feeling like, okay, I still know nothing about yep. the cause of fluency yes. issues yes. because we don't know. That was the summary. Well, That's pretty so much it. The study was pretty cool. What they did was they took some of the genes that they thought would affect stuttering and infected it into uh, the research mice. And guess what? The mice began to stutter. Really? What do they mean by mice stuttering? Um, so basically they just, looked just curious. at uh, like how they vocalize. There huh. was uh, vocalized haltingly with longer pauses between syllables, similar to what's seen in human stuttering. That is fascinating. Yeah, that's very fascinating. Yeah, like they I, I love the the picture in this article. They call them mutant mice. <laughs> so there's that. But no, so I guess this kind of comes up with the idea of my question. We've talked about for years in, in our field about what is appropriate for disfluency therapy. Do you, you know, work on diakinetic rates? Do you practice kind of like what you do with an ataxic patient where you practice longer phrases? You know, do you work on the anxiety? And is this a situation where we're really just treating symptoms? If this is truly something genetic, this is truly something that's vascular and genetic where we can't really change the outcome. Are we just treating the symptoms and not treating the cause? That's a great question. Oh, well, I think that's a good point, but isn't it? Um, I, I have a naive understanding. This is not an area of speech that I am an expert in by any means. Um, but isn't it true that, you know, stuttering is not something that you, um, that you cure or are suddenly no, like no longer have. Um, I am glad people, you said that Michelle. Yeah. That, that people, um, adults who I know who stutter have said that they've learned compensatory strategies and they've mm -hmm. learned, ways to be very successful in life um, even though they have disfluency. So they believe that the genetic link may have to do with dopamine receptors. Huh. And so they talk about, they actually talk about in the article, uh, the the child stuttering that we see. I forget what it's called. Developmental. De Developmental stuttering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what, they talk what people call the preschool stutter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So the article talks about it, and they believe that it may be linked to the dopamine receptors, that during that time, the child needs all this extra input, and the dopamine is being sucked up by all these other parts, and there's just not enough dopamine for the language part. Oh, this and is then, cool. Yeah, I'm looking right? at this part now. Yeah. And then as everything kind of like levels back out, the stuttering decreases because the dopamine levels are absorbed easier. So when you talk about, is there a way to treat stuttering? It could involve dopamine. So chemicals, chemical treatment. But my question is, and we know, at least I was always been told, chocolate releases dopamine. 
Lots of things. Want... Lots of is things. Is that in this article? Do they give no, them no, no, chocolate? No, 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 no. But I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm going out with this. Well, I mean, heroin has dopamine I mean, released yeah, as well. I know, but too, I don't want to just, I don't want to, I don't want to start mainlining my disfluency patients. What are you but... saying, Matt? <laughs> I'm not hugging my patients and I'm not giving them dopamine, but I can give them Hershey Kisses. Like, is this like legit something where we're looking at in the next 20 or 30 years, finding a way to synthesize dopamine that that maybe works on something, works on this? Hmm. Uh, right? A... Isn't this cool? It is cool. I thought I they it's... now that this circuitry that they talked about the slow mm -hmm. circuitry and the researcher um from the university of michigan in ann arbor last name chang did you see that part uh i read it but i maybe would what, what, what um so chang has been trying to understand why about 80 percent of children who stutter grow up to have normal speech patterns while the other 20% continue to stutter and so yes. he started following children around age two um, and followed them for four years and they actually put them into brain scans um, and looked at changes in their brain and he said in kids who lose their stutter Chang's team observed that the connections between areas involved in hearing and ones involved in speech movements get stronger over time but that doesn't happen in children who continue to stutter that would be around the arcuate fasciculus right sure the there area that connects yeah. vertices and brocas. <laughs> of yes. course, of course. No big deal. I only remember that because that's my that. favorite neuro term, arcuate fasciculus. It is a cool term. It sounds but, cool. I mean, dopamine, language center, circuitry. I mean, I, I would be on board for a synthetic treatment or like a, a, a chemical treatment in the next 10 to 15 years. Hmm. Now, they do say, though, that because of the COVID-19 pandemic, they had to stop the, uh, the study with 24 stu subjects out of the planned 50. So, again, this is just a first-level research, but pretty interesting. So, Michelle, you said you don't do a ton of disfluency therapy? I mean, I really haven't. I just haven't ended up with... Mike. those patients much I, I've, I could count on one hand the patients I've worked with I've done a decent amount would you agree well I mean not would you agree with the dopamine but would you how do you I mean you work with the older students so are you talking more compensatory strategies or what are you guys talking about during your your stuttering therapy yeah um I would say more just overall fluency techniques like I I tend to focus more on educating them like I'm very big on educating them on how speech works and, you know, uh, speech is fully exhale and the movement of the, of the articulators and having a breath and just getting everything, focusing on, on timing and rhythm. And, you know, like I, I do a lot of like tapping and pacing and metronome stuff just to kind of build up. So I, I, I guess it is uh, uh, strategies, various strategies they could use, but um I've, I've seen a lot of success. Obviously, it's very varying. You know, if it's more of a severe stutter, then you're going to have more issues. But this article just brings a whole new thing to light. So it kind of questions everything. Well, and my question, or like not my question, but um, concern is that we all know how quickly school districts absorb to new 
information. If we come in and go, yeah, no, there's nothing we can do for a stutter. <laughs> they need medication. Like we're going to get crazy down or not crazy. But down, I don't but think that's what down. this is saying yet. No, but I'm just, yeah. I'm saying 10, 15 years from down the road. They did say that they're going to look at a new article or a new uh, research about the effects of echopipum versus a placebo. And echopipum is a synthetic uh, drug that acts as a selective dopamine receptor antagonist. Interesting. AKA, it'll open the dopamine receptors hmm. in brains that stutter. That's I love science, y'all. Maybe yeah. I should go back and get my PhD. You, you should. keep saying that. I keep I saying you should you and should. be Dr. Hot. If you can host a podcast, you might as well just get like a like an honorary doctorate, right? Right. I know. Where's my PhD? I've been doing this for four years. Let us know. Hit us up. What are you doing with this fluency? 614-681-1798. Hashtag SS pod. Our second article comes from the ASHA leader. Uh, talks about using poetry to help prepare students to transition out of high school. I just love this because we talk about figurative language and we talk about uh, inferences and we talk about all this kind of stuff for our students that have receptive and expressive language deficits. A lot of times they're more on the concrete versus the, the fluffy or imaginative language. I love the idea of using poetry. Uh, I, I planned on this year to do some Edgar Allan Poe stuff during the month of October. So mm, I'm excited that's a great about idea. that. Right? Now, how much do you guys use? I know, and Matt, language? and you sit here and say, like, I'm not the creative, crafty SLP, but you're <laughs> oh, creative I'm not, I'm in not... a, a lot of ways. I'm very I'm not creative. Talking, you're cutting construction <laughs> paper, but you're very creative in what you do with your students. True. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I was actually going through a bunch of stuff this past week because uh, I have a sub coming in, so I need to make my office look somewhat usable. And I'm looking through the stuff that I received from the previous SLPs. And I was like, oh, I better keep all this because I don't plan on laminating anything over the next 30 years. Also, hey, shout out to <laughs> your school for having an SLP sub. because Yes. Oh, yeah. For real. Don't. Right? For She's going to come in for the two weeks while I'm out. So That's awesome. That on. doesn't happen right. a lot of places. Uh, and I like the sub too. So her and I are friends. Uh, so I'm excited by that. Shout but out, shout out to, to you for being friends with the sub. <laughs> I have a I like sub, that. everybody. But let's get back to the use of poetry. They talk about uh, three ways, three goals they have when you're using poetry in speech and language therapy. They say start with a rhythm-based activity rooted in joint attention, then move to the pragmatic language development, and lastly, let the students create their own poetry that is the part i have not done yet i've not had my students create poetry i'm looking at oh i'm sorry i've got the hiccups suddenly <laughs> um, i was looking at the pragmatic language development part because that piqued my curiosity well yeah overall well-being so we want to foster ongoing development and maturation of pragmatic language so skills. this is from the rebecca school what is that? If you look at the bottom, the Rebecca School is a fantastic school in New York City in Manhattan, where it is basically the hub of DIR floor time. Really? Yep. That's, that's basically that's basically you love that stuff too. Oh yeah. And that's basically where they run ICDOL out of, which is the organization that runs the floor time trainings, ICDL. Oh. 
Uh, and it's a fantastic, so, and it looks like she's also an adjunct at NYU. Um, yeah, this is, um, everything, everything within this, this article is, so they, so they talk about uh, actionable ways to start a similar group for your graduating students. Uh, you can invite your coworkers to join one or more sessions throughout the year. So they're focusing on interdisciplinary collaboration, which is a big part of, uh, of the floor time model. Occupational and physical therapists provide expertise on movement and sensory friendly diets. Uh, allow students ample time to express themselves and process their feelings. This allows them the space to develop and uh, to develop and share their own ideas, rather than respond to an adult-directed prompt. Another facet of floor time. Provide visual prompts. We bring in a lot of objects students can see and manipulate, and make it fun. Our group thrives when facilitators take part in the poetry reading and creation movement work and self-expressive projects. So this really is just like an overarching, like uh, what, what it seems like, just like a large long-term project to do with some of the older cool. students. Uh, but overall, they they laid it out pretty nicely for you. And uh, uh, it seems like something that you can kind of look at and gather some ideas from and kind of follow in their footsteps a little bit. We will have that linked in the show notes below. I am like, I like the ideas of long continuous therapy plans. I really do. Mm -hmm. Something that takes weeks or months to, to kind of work on. And part of me likes it because of the laziness factor. The, I don't have to plan, but I mean, I'll be honest. No, like, it's it's pre-planning. Yeah. Like you can say, I'm going to do this and this is going to take four sessions. It's no different also, than doing a unit as a teacher and having right, a focus but, on a certain they have terms Topic. like unit. I have late. I have terms like the same idea. But <laughs> you say but no, being I like lazy. I think it's being proactive. Yeah, that's fair. Work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, are you using poetry in your speech and language therapy classrooms? How are you using inferential uh, language or teaching that? Let us know. Head us up. Hashtag it SSPod. You can also email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or text message or phone call 614-681-1798. Michelle, did you want to say something? or? Uh, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say, I, I think doing units or connected sessions for speech can be very motivating for students too, students or patients, adults as well, because it gives them a kind of a script of they know That's what they're going to be working on the next session. Um, and they kind of know an outline of what they're going to do for the next month. You know what I always want to do, and I always forget about doing it until it's too late, is I, I had a teacher that always would do a project around the Iditarod dog sled races when I was in eighth grade. Shout out to Miss Vote. And it was everyone got a dog sled racer, and we had to write a, report, a book report about them. We had to give a presentation about our dog sled person and if our dog sled person won she gave us a, a bonus five points you know nothing like great but it could be enough to move you from a b to an a and i always want to do a speech therapy stuff on i did her on dog sled racing and i always forget that it happens in march <laughs> all it's right march so 6th. speech science community and Mike and myself in February, we need to remind Matt of this. Well, yes. So I bring that up because this past March, I was ready to do my unit 
on and COVID happened. And the race started March 22nd. Oh. And school was dismissed March 14th. Man. <laughs> so I didn't get to do it. And that means this year I'm going to forget. So. You're going to do it. We're going to help you. You'll do it. You'll do it. All right. We're going to take a short break. On the other side of the break, you're going to hear from the informed SLP. And then we're going to talk about the social thinking theory and maybe why it may not be the most scientific process when we're talking about pragmatic language. You're listening to Speech Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. This is a review of three articles, which are linked on this review on our website. We sometimes feel way out of our depth when it comes to writing skills. But as we've said before, while it's not our job to tackle it alone, working on writing is an essential part of supporting our clients' literacy development. To explore the link between language and writing, a new meta-analysis combined studies on writing skills in children with developmental language disorder, DLD, compared to either same age typically developing children or younger children with similar language skills. The researchers found that children with DLD scored lower than both comparison groups in all areas of writing they looked at. Quality and amount of writing, grammar, vocabulary, and spelling. Which makes sense. If grammar and vocabulary are affected in oral language, they're going to be affected in writing too. So what can we do to address writing challenges? One evidence-based method is self-regulated strategy development, SRSD. The general idea of SRSD is to model the thinking and strategies needed for skilled writing so that students can approach the writing process with growing independence. SRSD follows six steps. One, 
develop background knowledge, learn about the strategy. Two, discuss it. Talk about when and why to use the strategy. Three, model it. Show students how to use the strategy with think alouds. Four, memorize it. Help students remember the strategy with mnemonics. Five, support it. Write together and scaffold the student's progress. And six, independent performance. Students use the strategy with minimal support. The strategy to use depends on what you want students to write. And FYI, SRSD requires embracing some clunky acronyms or ESCA. Just kidding, Molly made that one up. Some examples. In a new study, researchers taught narrative writing skills to 10-year-olds with intellectual disabilities using the POW, WWW, what equals to, how equals to strategy. You can see an example for this on our website. And after strategy instruction during whole class lessons, including peer revision sessions with typical classmates, the researchers found that the length, quality, and number of story elements included in students' narratives increased. And in another recent study that we found, thanks to the meta-analysis above, researchers focused on compare-contrast essays with 4th to 6th grade students with language learning disabilities. They used the tree branch strategy. And again, you can find an example of this on our website. After treatment, students wrote longer and better quality compare-contrast essays and also generalized those skills to explanatory essays. If you're ready to dive into SRSD, check out some free resources which we've linked in this review to learn more. And as you embark into the maybe new territory of writing instruction, remember that you're doing your part to promote language and literacy development. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot. Episode number, what are we, 126, joined by Michelle Wintering. Hello. Hi, Michelle and Michael McLeod. What's up? Hey guys. So Mike, you just correct me. It is the social thinking program, right? Yes. Yes, it is. So let's just jump right into that. Uh, this is an article totally on front street. It's from the association of behavioral analysis international. So they are totally against kind of what we do and we're kind of against what they do in a weird way. ABA versus SLP. It's the new Hatfields and McCoys, but I, I like the article because I think it's very interesting to hear what somebody who doesn't always agree with what we do, what holes they have in one of our projects or our programs. And this one is looking at the social thinking program. Mm -hmm. And well, they talk about, oh, I'm sorry, Michelle. Just in, it looked like in their kind of review of literature when I was scanning through it, um, had some interesting quotes and the one that stood out to me was research that has stated, quote, one would be hard pressed to find an area more widely affected by rampant pseudoscience than that of autism treatment. And 
that I can agree with because I do think there are just in my career as an SLP, you know, going on a decade of, of working in this field and working with special needs um, individuals before that, of how things have shifted. Um, it's really interesting because I think sometimes these treatment treatments or programs catch on and they don't have the research behind them. Which is super interesting hearing mm -hmm. the ABA people of all saying, hey, we should have more evidence about what we're going to do. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to yell at this kid for not using their words until they get a cookie. I know. So I that is <laughs> odd that this article is calling out social thinking but is supporting ABA. Uh, right. <laughs> okay. But, okay, they do have some some good points into here. And I also will have the link to the socialthinking.com mm -hmm. and their link to their evidence as well. Um, I, I really liked how they talked about in this article and, and other articles I've seen about social thinking. It's there's a concern that what you're doing is you're masking the behavior of the student to make them appear typical. And that is always a concern when you're working with a student with autism or well, an autistic student, depending that, on what their preference is. That has been, is a learning experience for me. I would even say in the last two to three years that, you know, I have met individuals with autism or autistic individuals who have said, I want to be referred to as autistic. I am mm -hmm. an autistic person. It's part of my identity. And also that um, they don't, see any of these programs as being the ideal right surprise you don't want to be changed to who you are mm -hmm. which brings me to the solution have you seen this it's from the therapist neurodiversity collective it's the non-ableist pragmatic language theory mike you are chomping at the bit I, i'm nervous to ask you yeah so your initial reaction <laughs> there we go Mike's off the hook. So, Help basi us, Mike. so basically, this this social thinking curriculum, if there's anything that SLPs could agree on, it is one of the most and possibly best marketed therapy programs for mm -hmm. speech pathologists around. To the point, it's the super duper. That we, well, super duper is more of like a company that just releases a bunch of cards. Terrible joke. But just overall, like, cur like <laughs> curriculum in terms of curriculum and like treatment program to use, this is one of this, like it's gotten to the point now where people are just saying Garcia winner and they think that's like the name of the program and they don't mm -hmm. even realize that's like lady and like. Do I've, you I've, feel this way too, Matt? Because I don't. I didn't know about this program until the last couple of years. I would say the last three to five years i've heard a ton about yeah. social thinking it's okay. i'll have teachers say oh we're using the social thinking program yes. in my classroom and I'm that's like, mm. that's that's the that's what i was about to get to to okay. the point to the point where it's literally in special mm -hmm. education classrooms i've gone into special ed classrooms and there's been social thinking posters there's been rock brain posters and this the incredible flexible you posters all that stuff and okay. it's and it's that's due to the marketing a lot of times uh school districts will go to their workers and say okay here's your budget what are you going to do and this is one of the first thing that come that comes up because it is so well marketed the biggest thing that i have always told people about this social thinking program 
is that it is not one size fits all. People think, okay, here's someone with an autism diagnosis. Here's someone with Asperger's. Here's someone with special needs. Let's teach them this. Let's give them this. But it's not meant for everybody. It uses, you know, especially like the whole rock brain program is for some of the younger kids. Some of the kids like it. Some of the kids don't like it. Uh, Garcia Winner herself has, has written a lot of very good articles and research studies uh, describing, you know, various, you know, things to look out for when you're observing individuals on the spectrum. But overall, this curriculum is just, just like we said before, it's just another thing. And if we're not tailoring to the individual, if we're taking just this one, just, a, oh, this is Michelle Garcia winner. This is the best thing. This is the best social thinking program. This is the best uh, like basically what she did was she took social thinking and she trademarked that phrase and that right there kind of laid the foundation for this to be a, a successful thing. And of course they put in a lot of work. They published a lot, a ton of books, a ton of therapy materials. So they're, they're, you know, they're, they clearly worked hard on it and they're, they're experiencing the success from it. But Overall, it's not a perfect curriculum in any way, shape, or form. And this article that we're talking about, like Matt said, uh, it was written by people with an ABA background, correct? With an ABA slant. Yep. With, yeah, so there you go. So it's, it's them looking at it. and But they do state some facts in here. Like, for example, uh, at this present time, there were only two published studies, only one of which was published in a peer-reviewed journal, attempting to evaluate social thinking, and both studies had serious met methodological flaws. So, and, you, and all, in fairness, the yeah. article's from 2016, too. Yeah, so. and it says there's a, uh, there's a perception among consumers that there is an abundance of written material supporting the efficacy of social thinking, but there isn't. So, yes, but this is from 2016, so was there more research done between now and then? I don't know. On their website, they have a link to the ASHA SIG from Perspectives. They have a link to an efficacy article from the Language of Speech Hearing Services in Schools. And then, yeah, then like something in the Autism International Journey or Journal of Research and Practice, Word of Mouth, and, and a couple other books. So they're kind of, I, I, I don't know, we'll have to talk to Dr. Meredith Harold on the efficacy of their their research because i don't understand some of it but i still think that the the underlying thing of not a ton of evidence supporting it kind of goes with what you're saying mike exactly yeah this is really something that you know, and you have to give them credit they did a fantastic job getting their materials out there and marketing it and that's a lot of slps that that go out of their way to do time outside of seeing clients to create materials. That's their goal to sell. You know, it is a business now, to sell. Is the zones of regulation part of the social thing? Yes, it is. There you Michelle, go. Michelle, have you heard of zones of regulation? Mm -hmm. Zones of regulation, I have. So I yeah, I just saw that on their their website there. So here's my question and my concern with this. I learned is zones that, of regulations from an OT I worked with. Yeah, and maybe that's where I'm hearing a lot of the social thinking from. But like, I don't like zones of regulation from a language point of view because kids float in one moment. They can float from one regulation to or one zone to the next. 
My understanding is that's okay. Is it? Okay. Yeah. 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 But here is from the non-ableist pragmatic language theory therapy. Here are some examples of what they call pro-neurodiversity objectives. Is this good? I, I, I always forget. Is this a good thing? Pro-neurodiversity? Pro-neurodiversity? Is, isn't yes. neuro, neurodiversity the um, term that's being used by autistic individuals? Is that, right? I, uh, see, why can't we just say that, like, anyway. They talk about not training social skills. What they want you to do um, they want you to talk about self-advocacy, perspective taking of yourself and others, interoception for regulation, self-awareness, flexibility of thought, teaching how one's body sensations correlate to emotions, talking about figurative languages, and then building on their strengths. Mm -hmm. They said examples of an ableist objective is eye contact, quiet hands, and whole body listening. And that whole body listening is definitely the social thinking part. Mm -hmm. Extinguishing perceived neurodivergent social def deficits, teaching social scripting that encourages masking, and social skills goals that focus on making the client appear indistinguishable from their neurotypical peers. And I think the, the big emphasis, the more that I've read, and I have so much to learn still on this, and I, I'm glad that there's more information coming out from people who are artistic or have autism, mm -hmm. um, is the that us as SLPs and as therapists can work with these individuals on perspective taking, and we can work with these individuals who, who are artistic and their peers, that it's it's learning to interact with the differences not to change the differences necessarily i do a lot of improv therapy with my pragmatic kids i love your improv stuff you've talked about go and, ahead and, mm -hmm. and again it's more just because I'm, I'm not teaching the kids to change their body language i'm just trying to teach them like listen when you stand like this and i got my arms crossed and my shoulders up it means that i look like i'm pissed off or don't want to be here yep so if somebody asks you what's wrong, that's why. And mm -hmm. also, if you see somebody that looks like that as you're talking, they might not want to hear it. Like, I'm not teaching my kids to change. And, and that's actually been my big goal this year is that I, I set myself a goal to try to talk to teachers and parents that I'm not going to make their kids more popular or make them have more friends. But I'm going to teach them how to, you know, learn their body and what other people's bodies mean. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I always get requests from parents that are like, my kid doesn't have enough friends or doesn't have the right friends or they need more friends. Can you help them so that they have more friends? I think you get that in a school setting. I don't get that. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. Otherwise, but in it is interesting to me to see the shift that is happening in wanting to mm -hmm. be referred to as an autistic person because to me it's reminiscent of the shift that happened in the for the deaf community and even the blind community who often want to be called a blind person or a deaf person especially if they identify with like the capital d deaf community and i, I feel think like it's kind of oh, autism is is becoming that sort of identity um i think it's like, kind of going yeah. back to that like taking away the, the stigma, the stigma right? yeah, and, and controlling the, the vocabulary. Yeah. I mean, what, what did we learn a couple weeks ago? Like BIPOC is the new term for 
for like African-American, people of color, Indian, all that. And that when I was a kid, you never said individual stuff. So I like it. Let us know what you think. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, speechsciencepodcast.gmail.com, or hashtag it up, hashtag SSPod. We're going to wrap the show up, but I do have our news headlines for you guys real quick, and I thought I'd hit them with you, hit you with them. Do it. All right. So the first article, not news, not article, news, where is it? I lost it. There's the Iditarod dog race. Oh, blackout drinking may increase risk of dementia as you age. Mike, stop drinking it on the golf course. Uh, But they said that if you are blackout drinking uh, excessively, what do they report as excessively? More than eight times a year, you have a greater chance of of, uh, dementia later in life. It was a 14-year study. And the other news article that I wanted to hit you guys with, are you guys Big Brother fans? Nope. No. Oh, I love Big Brother. Big Brother, <laughs> it's basically where they put all the people in the house and then they have Are the they cameras still, on them. Do they still have seasons of this going? Season 22 is happening right wow. now. It's all-star cast. And guess what? They are under fire uh, because Ian Terry, who won Big Brother, I think, season four, season three, season five, one of the first ones, uh, came back onto the show and said, hey, after I was on the show, everyone said that I was rocking a lot and had all these mannerisms. And guess what? Found out I have autism after I won the show Big Brother. So he's on the show this year, still rocking like he did, literally on the swing. And uh, four of his housemates were making fun of his rocking. Mocking him on cameras. And one of the house guests lost her endorsements because of it. Oh, well, there you go. Really? So, so, yep. Olay, body wash or whatever, uh, drop Nicole. So that's your speech therapy headline. Something to talk about at the water cooler this week. All right, guys. <laughs> the water cooler. <laughs> Six feet away. Six feet away through your masks, unless you're drinking, then go on the other side of the plastic. There you go. What are you guys doing this week? Let's wrap the show up and send everybody home with a smile. What are you doing this week that is not therapy related? I'm moving. That's all I've got. Sorry. That is not <laughs> like, smile inducing, Michelle. That is you terrible. You said not speech related. <laughs> Fair enough. I am Mike? getting a house that doesn't have mold in German. I am Ooh. watching. See? Make it positive, Michelle. Flip the script. I'm getting a better home that will not kill me and my family. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Mike, what are you doing this week? I am watching game one of the New York football giants tomorrow. And I am so excited, even though they're probably going to get destroyed. Yeah, there you go. They're on Monday Night Football, though. Yes, they are. So you get to see that. So the nation can watch them lose. Yeah. There you go. Um, I will be bringing home a new child this week. Oh, okay. So that is the non-therapy related thing that I am doing this bringing week. Bringing home a new child. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that is mine. Just I'm not having just stealing a, kid. a child. No big deal. <laughs> from, the, from, the, from the kids store? I know. Yeah, the I'm kids going are to us. the kids store. I'm going to the Wombs Are Us and I'm going <laughs> <laughs> It's a very special program. They pick a child out for you evidently. Okay. It takes 10 months though to build, you know, whatever. Your wife has only been growing this human for a long time. So I have to say that before I had kids, I really thought it was pregnancy for nine months and never really paid attention that it's 40 weeks. Yes right? and yeah. no. Yeah. So whatever. I don't know. 
Evelyn Rose will be entering the world this week. <laughs> That's right. an, that is strictly an average, but yes. <laughs> right. No, I understand that. Like, I've had one kid go 42 weeks and another kid go 38 and a half. So, yep. Like, we're right at the average. <laughs> Our opening music, our intro music, is Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music was County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Uh, find all his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. The Informed SLP played At The Count by Broke For Free. It's licensed under a Creative Commons and attribution license. And our closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed also under a Creative Commons attribution license. In the immortal words of Janet R- Janice Right. Oh my gosh, I've lost my ability to speak at the end of the show. Always be a willow, don't be an oak. The oak tree looks strong until it is under pressure, then it will crack and fail. The willow will bend and return to form. For Kansasian willow, Michelle Wintering. For Philadelphian willow, Michael McLeod. I am the Buckeye willow, Matt <laughs> Until next week, so long, everybody. Hi. Bye. We should make it fun. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.